Deshaun Tate here, college basketball analyst, host, expert, I like to call myself a lot of times. You're listening to Tate's Take, the podcast, any and everything, nothing less than 110% all basketball. You know what it is. You've heard us before. Um, High school basketball, collegiate level, professional basketball, wheelchair basketball, anything dribbling that basketball, (laughs) 94 feet long, 50 feet wide. 22 feet and one and one quarter inches out on the perimeter. And if that basketball hoop is 10 feet high, uh, you know exactly where to find it. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. I cannot force it to you guys enough. Anywhere that you find podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, that little search box with that um, with that magnifying glass on it. Tate's take. Feel free to uh, subscribe and share with a friend. Well, I'm honored to be able to have an opportunity to do this specific episode I'm sure that you guys will all enjoy this. An absolute treat. Of course, I got my buddy TJ Reeves with me from TuneIn app, where you can find uh, a lot of his content, college basketball, coast to coast. This dude is no, uh, um, he, 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 he is absolutely no stranger to Final Fours, working on uh, looking like it was going to be number 20, if I'm not mistaken, TJ, yeah. up until this year. We didn't get there. It's good to be with you. I'm treating all of these interviews, including my own stuff, as group therapy. We're all having to do without. So thank you for holding group therapy. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking a lot of Michigan State, including with your special guest. <laughs> I'm just a guest. We are going to roll the carpet out, the red carpet out, right, for a special guest, right? Oh, of course we are. I sent- I'll get into it here in a second. Since since my youth, this this is extra special for me. I can't tell you how fast my heart is beating. As far as for TJ, uh, host of College Basketball Coast to Coast, you find him on Twitter, on social media, at Guy. Now, for like TJ alluded to before, rolling out the red carpet, um, good, good, good buddy of mine, Jack Ebling, interviewing him now, host, uh, analyst, Working on a book, we're going to get into some of that as well uh, from Spotlight Media Group, drivewithjack.com, and does press pass that I've been on quite a few times, um, Fox 47 in Lansing, Michigan, from 11 p.m. until midnight on Sunday nights. Jack, welcome to the show. Hey, Deshaun. Hey, TJ. How you doing? You know, I think it's pretty cool between the three of us. Uh, we're very close to 50 Final Fours, so I don't know what that means we're old or what, but We'd add three hey, more this year. There's o- there's only one of us that has been the Michigan Sports Writer of the Year three times and has about ten different books and has a whole lot of green and white and maize and blue that are interested in whatever it is he has to say. So I'm thrilled. I'm letting Deshaun just drive the bus, and I'm just sitting back, and I, I may add and contribute a little bit uh, here and there, but I'm letting these guys – I'm letting you guys go. Go for it, Deshaun. Sounds good. Good deal. So uh, first things first, and, and, and Jack, I definitely got to get – I know you're a, a historian, especially uh, Michigan State, obviously, uh, basketball. And so I wanted to dip into a little bit of the national championship years first. Yeah. 79, 2000. I'm here for the stories. I know you guys are wanting me to kind of drive the car and this and that. I'm here <laughs> for the stories. I sit back and I listen to both of you guys all the time. You tell your stories. I know that TJ was at uh, three Final fours in a row that Michigan State went to between '99 and 2001. But first, right. Jack, what, where were you? What was going through your mind? 1979, Greg Kelser, Urban Magic Johnson, number 33, Urban Magic Johnson. That's we're, we're taking it back a little bit. Tell me a little bit about uh, about what you remember from that time and share a little bit about your experience. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Everyone thinks about. Magic and Bird and the national championship game in Salt Lake City, uh, the highest rated basketball game in history. But mm. there was a more important game to Judd Heathcote, to the Michigan State players, before they ever met Larry Bird, and that was the Mideast Regional Final in Indianapolis in a place called Market Square Arena. And all year long, in fact, for several years, they'd wanted a piece of Notre Dame. And they watched Notre Dame play on Sunday on NBC. They called it the Notre Dame Broadcasting Company and could never get on television. Michigan State was on one time nationally other than the tournaments while Irvin was at Michigan State. Uh, Beat Darnell Valentine in Kansas uh, one year. But other than that, they could not get any national exposure. 
So when they got a chance as a two seed in the Midwest, Notre Dame was the one seed. They were ready for this. And the day before the game, John had noticed that Orlando Woolrich uh, was so good at winning tips that Notre Dame never put anyone in a defensive position off the opening tap. And he said, you know, I really think that Gregory Kelser can quick jump and steal this tap. And what we're going to do is have him just push the ball forward and Irvin is going to take it and bat it over his head toward the basket. And as soon as the ball went up, Mike Berkovich was going to break toward the basket, get it and lay it in. And they worked on this play and there were some people who were actually at that practice. So they get to the game and there's a kid and he's about 10 years old and uh, Notre Dame fans are Notre Dame fans. And they were talking about how, you know, it's going to be a blowout. Why did Michigan state bother to show up St. Patrick's day? And this kid that heard about enough and he took all the money he had in his pocket. It was close to $20. And he put it out, and he said to this blowhard, Michigan State's going to score a basket in the first 10 seconds. And the guy said, yeah, sure, Sonny. Dream on. The guy says, I'll bet you. And the guy says, hey, I don't want to take your money, kid. <laughs> and his dad said, that's okay. You can take it. He wants to bet his money. Go ahead. I says, all right. So he gets the $20 bill or whatever it was out. Sure enough, exactly as Heathcote drew it up, Kelser wins the tip, moves it ahead to Johnson, who bats it over his head. But just before the tip-off, when they had gone out, Irvin said to Mike Berkovich, don't lay that ball in. Dunk it as hard as you can. And that's exactly what he did. He slammed it home, and just four seconds into the game, Michigan State is ahead. And then they steal the inbounds pass. And Danny Nee, who was an assistant coach uh, under Digger Phelps at Notre Dame, said, uh, I knew we were in trouble because Digger Phelps never swore. <laughs> he said, oh, please, twice in the first 10 seconds. <laughs> so Michigan State went on and won that game 80-68, to 68, and then it was on to Salt Lake City, and they beat Penn 100-67. to 67. Penn had just upset uh, North Carolina in the regional final. And uh, that set up the game with number one ranked Indiana State, 33-0. and And uh, Larry Bird had maybe the worst game of his career. He was 7 for 21 from the field, uh, 19 points, missed three free throws. And Michigan State had the famous man-and-a-half defense on him wherever he went. And uh, had Indiana State not gone 10 for 23 at the line, Sycamores would have been the national champion. No, I can't say that I know a whole, whole, whole lot about that particular time. Obviously, I wasn't even a thought <laughs> just yet. Uh, but yeah. He's I'm making us mistaken. feel old now, Jack. He wasn't <laughs> on the planet in 1979. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I do remember Michigan State, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in that Final Four, Michigan State, Indiana State, Penn, and DePaul. Correct. That's right. Yes. Uh, okay. Okay. So I'm. Um, I, I do know that much. I do know that much. Um, huh. Before I go and before I before I switch it over to uh, TJ, so he can talk a little bit about you know being at those Final Fours during the time that Michigan State was there. Well, oh, I still 99. I want to talk about '79 when you come to me for a second, but finish with okay. Jack on whatever okay. no, else. Go. No, that's perfect. No, that's perfect. I'm glad that you said that. Um, Jack, take us through a little bit about during that time what because we a lot of people only know, especially. Uh, people that are my age and my generation knowing um, about or just hearing about the the, the bird versus magic uh, matchup yeah. and kind of how that formed college basketball as we know it today in regards to rivalries and whatnot. Was there a certain piece that you don't typically hear on the four letter network or on any other networks um, that um, that are that, that they broadcast? so so often and talked about is there any other pieces to that rivalry and or to that particular season with or without Michigan State included um, that you don't typically hear about that many people kind of tend to leave out well there was no rivalry with Michigan State and Indiana State they had never played and uh, think about Indiana State uh, were nondescript uh, they have not been in the final they haven't been in the NC tournament since then 
And it was really a matter of Larry Bird, who had signed with Indiana and Bob Knight, getting homesick and going home to work on a garbage truck. And that's where Indiana State found him, brought him back, said, hey, you know, we can give you another chance. You got to do this. Talked him into giving college a second chance. Uh, He would have been very happy as a blue collar guy, but uh, he decided to try basketball again. And uh, as a result, after his junior year, they had what was called the futures draft. And you could take a guy ahead and just wait for him to play out his eligibility. And that's what Red Auerbach and the Boston Celtics did. And it was the sixth pick uh, of the draft in uh, 1978 when they selected Larry Bird. They didn't have his services, obviously, but they just kind of banked it like you would now with the player that you put overseas. There was no shot clock. So if you wanted to stall out the last six or seven minutes of a game, mm-hmm. if you wanted to be Dean Smith and run the four corners and dare teams to follow you or try to take the ball away, you could do that. And the NCAA tournament that year had expanded to 40 teams. Wow. Uh, 40 teams from 32. So if you did not win your conference championship, uh, you were going to have to really scramble to get one of the eight at large bits. I think sure. it was And so the Big Ten that year had tri champions Michigan State, Iowa, and Purdue. And Purdue, as a Big Ten champion, had to go to the NIT. Iowa and Michigan State went to the NCAA tournament. Iowa lost in the first round to Toledo. And eventual MSU assistant Stan Joplin hit a shot at the buzzer to beat the Hawkeyes. And uh, Michigan State was very, very, very fortunate to get into the NCAA tournament. At one point, realizing that only the champion would go, Michigan State was 4-4 four and four in the conference. Ohio State was 8-0. And the Buckeyes came into Jenison Fieldhouse and uh, were beating Michigan State. Uh, Michigan state came back and took a lead and all of a sudden Irvin Johnson went down in a heap. Uh, not unlike the situation with Martin Cleves in the national championship game, mm-hmm. but they help him to the locker room. And now people are saying, you know, Irvin's going to be here two years. There's going to be nothing to show for it. No, no NCAA championship, no final four appearance. Cause they'd lost in the elite eight the previous year to eventual champ Kentucky. And, you know, it was going to be the greatest missed opportunity ever. Irvin is listening to the game in the training room on a transistor radio. And finally, he tells the trainer, Clint Thompson, tape me up. I'm going back. He said, well, you can't walk. So tape me up. I'm going back. And uh, he put the, the most compression he could on the ankle, tried to put the shoe on it. And he starts hobbling back out the Jenison Fieldhouse through the back door. And Deshaun, I don't know if you've ever had a chance or TJ, if you remember what that old barn was like, but I do uh, bleachers everywhere. And you can Mm -hmm. only see the door from a very small part of the arena. So suddenly everyone saw urban come through the door and stood up and it was like the wave, the first wave (laughs) everywhere. The small section of the crowd stood up and then another section, another section, another section. And eventually he came out and uh, <laughs> there were players at the scorer's table. Gregory Kelser hates the story, but uh, Judd Heathcote always used to say that uh, the crowd started, started screaming so loud, Kelser thought it, that uh, it was the fans cheering for him to go back in the game. And uh, sure enough, he comes out and Judd says, uh, can you go? And he said, yeah, I, I think so. He said, Get in there. And so he went in, and Michigan State wound up winning that game in overtime. And if it had lost that game, it never would have been in the NCAA tournament. You know what? Wow. And that's funny that you that, – that, that, that is crazy that you say that. And, I, and, and this just kind of goes back before we go to TJ. Um, my little bit of memory of Michigan State – and I want to say this was either uh, late 2000s or early 2010s – played a game – in Jenison Fieldhouse, can't remember right. exactly who they played, uh, but I do remember that they did play a game there, a regular season game. Uh, and then t- on top of that, 
I remember one year on ESPN, Michigan State played a game that was, it looked so similar as they were trying to imitate the way that it looked in 79. Um, yeah. and, I, and, and, and I know that was against a Big Ten team, and you might have to help me on that one, Jack, but I do recall those two things where everything, looking at the current players at the time for Michigan State, which was in the early 2000s, playing a game that looked exactly on television how it did around the time that the Magic and Bird thing took place in 79 with the old ESPN look and everything. So I yeah, do remember exactly. that. Uh, TJ, one other what, thing that I want to ahead. tell you guys, uh, and this has to do with Tom Izzo, okay. is uh, he grew up in the Upper Peninsula, uh, up in Iron Mountain, and his first real exposure to Michigan State and his first NCAA tournament was 1979 and there was a state representative a very influential guy named dominic jacob betty and he organized a caravan the guys going out to salt lake city to watch michigan state play and Izzo went along on this trip and he was a nobody i mean he sat on the hump in the back seat of the car and you know slept on the floor and all this stuff but it was easy to get tickets he said he sat in row eight and it was his first time seeing big-time basketball, and he knew right then what Michigan State could be. And look at him now, the Hall of Fame coach at Michigan State, Tom Izzo. I want to say somewhere <laughs> right around, what, 26, 27 years now at, at Michigan State or somewhere right around yeah, um, that range. Yeah, he finished year 25 as a head coach, but 37 wow. altogether if you count his 12-year prison sentence with Jeff. That is incredible. <laughs> that is incredible. Uh, and before we – move on to the later years of Michigan State. I know uh, that TJ wanted to chime in a little bit about so, uh, his time hey, in 79. First of all, you have a gold mine on the other end there telling stories about 79. You don't really need me except to sprinkle a little additive <laughs> that at that time, I'm going to give my age away, I'm a nine-year-old in 1979, and to mm. Jack's point, that the game was not nationally shown on TV a bunch. You would see like a Saturday NBC right. game, but right. you you didn't see Michigan State or Indiana State on national TV. You would maybe see an odd game uh, on local or regional TV if you were in the area. So I'm living in Texas, Jack and Deshaun, with my family, and from a distance, I'm reading Sports Illustrated about Larry Bird. And remember now, no ESPN yet. It didn't come into <laughs> existence until later that year in, sep in right. September of 79. So there's no ESPN. Hard for everybody to imagine, kids. There's no internet. So you have very little ways other than the newspaper or Sports Illustrated to keep up with Indiana right. State being undefeated that year. And I still, I remember that I had it for so long, Deshaun and Jack. I had the cover of Sports Illustrated with Larry Bird on it, where they were the number one team in the country undefeated. And it had the two Indiana State cheerleaders, cheerleaders with, the sh right. with the shush number one finger up against their mouth. That's right. And that, and that, was, that was your exposure. That's what you knew. It was almost like a fable, like like you had a yeah. story, but you didn't have video. You didn't have the chance <laughs> to see this. So, again, when the NCAA tournament games finally came on, uh, on the Indiana State side, they beat Arkansas in the regional final and Sidney Moncrief, who went on to have a fantastic NBA career, and Bird and, and Indiana State beat them. And that really, in a lot of people's mind, was the first understanding of, okay, these guys must be pretty good, if not really good. And then they found a way. Jack, help me. It was Aguirre and DePaul. Aguirre was there that early. It was certainly right. some of their prominent players. But right. they beat Aguirre, Mark Aguirre, and DePaul in the national semifinal, setting right. up just a killer, uh, from a TV rating standpoint, national championship game but again i can't convey enough you couldn't see either team you didn't really know about magic johnson if you weren't living in michigan or if you weren't around to be able to see the game somehow some way earlier in the year and to jack's point that is still the highest rated basketball game on tv anywhere ever college nba anything it has stood the test of four decades five decades now at the time that we're talking um, it was just incredible what that game meant. 
and uh, and I was a Bird fan from a distance, and I, I'm yeah. sitting there as a nine-year-old crushed as Magic Johnson just completely outplayed him, and Michigan State was great that night. So there's my additive to what you have with Jack there, Deshaun. You know, and TJ, maybe- it's interesting you mentioned that Sports Illustrated cover because Sports Illustrated did some different things in those days. It wasn't always game action. And two of the most famous covers involved Magic and Bird and the one you mentioned with those cheerleaders uh, and, you know, the cheerleading outfits and everything. It was it was uh, so funny to look at. But there was a shot of Magic dunking the ball in a tuxedo. Yeah. And uh, that's a famous cover. He's got with the a, top hat top hat on. Absolutely. And jumping up and dunking the ball. And that was because of the sensational sophomore class. Uh, and this group had come in together and uh, he was really the uh, the featured player in that group. But there were so many, uh, Albert King and Gene Banks and Kelly Trapuca and just a, a lot of guys who were uh, projected to be Hall of Fame players. But Irvin was the one who lived up to it. You want to learn a little bit of something? You can do that here tonight. That's for sure. <laughs> T.J. Reeves, Deshaun Tate. Uh, of course, and, uh, and 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 my special guest Jack Ebling, as we are uh, talking, obviously a bunch of not just historic stuff from Michigan State, but just in general about college basketball. The guy, the people that uh, you know frequently listen to the podcast and and um, and uh, want to learn a little bit more, you know, about uh, about some things that took place um, <clears throat> in regards to that. So I want to move forward now, fast forward just a little bit to some of the years that Michigan State. Uh, took the floor in the final four, getting back um, since since 79. We had gone through a period where we saw Scott Skiles and we got, you know, went through a period. Yeah. We saw, you know, obviously Steve Smith and then the fire and ice between uh, Eric Snow and Sean Respert. And then there's a, a, a whole new circling back around now crop of guys that call themselves the Flintstones, uh, Morris Peterson, obviously Charlie Bell. Um, Mateen Cleves, how can you leave out that name? Um, and obviously, uh, uh, Antonio Smith, who kind of started that whole thing, uh, coming over from Flint. So I'll go to, uh, to Jack first to kind of, those were some of my most prominent, my more prime years of Michigan state that 99, 2000, 2001, back to back to back, um, Chime in a little bit for me, Jack, in regards to, you know, Michigan State hitting that scene, because prior to that, it was like, you know, a lot of people didn't really pay much attention to Michigan State. And and, right. and Tom Izzo had been, you know, only there for probably about four or five years up until that point where they started making those runs to the final four. What catapulted them to get to that point um, and, and just what took me through what those times were like. Cause I know for me exactly what they were like. I remember them like they were yesterday, but how did they just ultimately and eventually get to that point before we go to TJ who went to all three of those final fours as well? Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Scott Skiles in 1986 and Steve Smith led team, the big 10 champions in 1990, because both of those teams could have, and probably should have been in the final four, but both of them uh, had clock incidents. And uh, against Kansas in 1986, the clock stopped for 15 seconds. And uh, by the time everyone realized this, uh, Judd Heathcote pitched a fit and smashed the scorer's table. And then Larry (laughs) Brown came out and pulled the uh, official's whistle back and hit him in the throat. It was something that uh, you you just couldn't imagine happening. But with those extra 15 seconds, Kansas tied the game. And uh, then wound up and won in overtime. That was Danny Manning's uh, sophomore year. Mm-hmm. And then in 1990, uh, I still have the photo of Kenny Anderson with the ball in his hand and zero zero showing in the clock in the Louisiana Superdome. And uh, that ball was launched. And again, Georgia Tech took the game into overtime and beat Michigan State and uh, went on. So. Uh, the couple of chances that got away, but when Judd Heathcote was getting ready to retire, he knew who he wanted to succeed him. And very few other people understood what Tom Izzo could be. Uh, I had seen it early on and I knew that he could get this job done. I didn't think he'd do it as fast as he did, but there was some help from Michigan self-destructing and 
having the rollover accident and eventually getting caught going on probation. Uh, so when Izzo came in, uh, one of the best coaching jobs he ever did was his first year after Respert and Snow left. He had no players and they went nine and nine in the Big Ten. And I was telling Tom the other night, you know, all the achievements, the one that people forget is in 25 years, he's never had a team finish below 500 in the conference. And just about every other coach has had a year or two they'd like wow. to have back. Mm-hmm. So that is amazing consistency. But we're into year three. And uh, Michigan State has lost three straight times to the University of Detroit. And a lot of people are saying, Izzo, Fizzo, who is this guy? Get him out of here. Bring in a real coach. Uh, there was graffiti in uh, the bathrooms about him. A lot of people thought that uh, he should be replaced. In fact, as a columnist for the State Journal, uh, I was called in and said, you got to write a column firing this guy. And I said, uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I said, here's the space. Uh, you want to write the column? Have at it. I'll take the day off. Just be sure you use your column picture, not mine. <laughs> and uh, so now they're going to go down and play South Florida. And everybody else covering Michigan state and said, well, this is a meaningless game and had gone out to Hawaii for a couple of extra days in the sun. Michigan state was going to play in the Alamo bowl. And I said, you know what, before I go out there, I'm going to go down to Tampa and see this basketball game because if Michigan state loses, who knows? Uh, And then I'll fly out to Hawaii later for the game. So I remember it was my birthday and I didn't have anything else to do. I got to the arena early, almost two hours before the game. And there were no media people there for this. And I looked up in the stands and just sitting there was George Steinbrenner. Hmm. I said, that's really strange. <laughs> I knew he lived in Tampa. He was a shipbuilder and uh, I knew he had Big Ten roots. He's been a Big Ten assistant football coach, believe it or not. Uh-huh. So I said, you know, I've been told to get lost by a lot of people in my life. I went up there and introduced myself. And I knew that the Yankees uh, had just arranged to have a farm club in Battle Creek. So that was my point of entry for this. And I said, if you don't mind, uh, can I ask you what you're doing here? And he says, I like to watch coaches. And I've heard really good things about this Izzo. And I'm thinking to myself, well, you didn't hear him in East Lansing because they want to fire us. And uh, so the game is played and Michigan State wins. It is butt ugly. I mean, people are bleeding, scratching each other. And Michigan State squeaks out a win and then goes on to play Purdue in the Big Ten opener. Uh, I'm off in Hawaii, watch Michigan State lose a bowl game, and then I fly to L.A. uh, for the Rose Bowl. Michigan is playing Washington State and Ryan Leaf for a chance to win a national championship. Mm. So I'd almost forgotten that this game was being played. This is late December in Mackey Arena, and it was the day of the Alamo Bowl. And Purdue was playing in the Alamo Bowl. It was... uh, Drew Brees there uh, was uh, just getting started uh, at Purdue. And people there were so, they'd taken this game for granted. They said, we're going to move it up so that it can be like the prelim to a watch party we're going to have in Mackey Arena so they can watch the football game and then we'll have this little basketball game before it. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm getting ready to go to Pauley Pavilion that night. First time I'd ever been. I was really excited to see it. Illinois uh, was playing UCLA. Mm-hmm. And I remembered that, hey, wait a minute, Michigan State's playing right now. There's no internet, as you say. There was no way to know what was happening with this. And so I called home and I said to my wife, hey, what's the score of the basketball game? She said, they're up 18. I'm thinking, okay, well, Purdue's up 18. That's, you know. <laughs> she said, no, dummy. Michigan State is up by 18 points. I said, put the phone by the radio. I have to hear this for myself. So I listened to 
the end of the game, uh, about the last four minutes, sure enough, Michigan State gets this incredible win over a top-five team. And went to the game. On the way back from the game, I get a call from Tom Izzo. And he is deliriously happy, you know, suddenly. And now everyone thinks, hey, this guy can really coach. So Michigan State goes on and wins the first of the four straight Big Ten titles in 1998 and goes on to the NCAA tournament, uh, wins two games and loses to North Carolina in the Sweet 16. Mm. And uh, that was the last time for three years that they didn't make it all the way to the Final Four. All right, wow. you want me to add to that a little bit? Absolutely. You want some more additive? All right. Absolutely. So Jack Ebling was in the building in December of 1997 mm-hmm. in the Sundome, where I live, and I was the play-by-play broadcaster for the University of South Florida with Seth Greenberg oh, oh. as the coach. That I'll is the that. first year that I was doing the games. I did the games for 10 seasons. That's the first year I was doing the games. And he was raving for a day and a half about Mateen Cleaves and Morris Peterson and names that most of the country did not know, even with the Internet and even with ESPN. Jack is right on several fronts. First of all, George Steinbrenner was always there as a season ticket holder, even when USF was bad and playing bad teams. He was constantly there in the in the uh, late 70s, the 80s, and all the way through the 90s. He stopped going right around the early 2000s. Uh, His health got a little worse, uh, but, I mean, he was constantly there. So the boss was always there. So it's interesting that you got to speak with the boss at a USF game. Um, And and so I I remember all of what you're describing there and how what it led to, which is the following year, the following season, and that team going on a roll with that nucleus of players. And Deshaun and Jack, where did they end back up? But in the Tampa Bay area, across right, Tampa right. Bay in St. Petersburg, Florida, at Tropicana right. Field, the home of the Tampa Bay Rays, in the Final Four. And I think I really have to believe, at that point, most of the doubters had gone by the wayside. But certainly yeah. by the time you got to Indianapolis the following year and won a national championship, Izzo had shut everybody up. Obviously, by that point, it had established Michigan State into, into what they've been, really, for the last... 20 22 years so it's it's fascinating you were in the building i was in the building we didn't meet each other we didn't say hello but oh, we were there I apologize for not buying dinner I that's okay that that's okay but i i can't emphasize enough that there were there were coaches that were buzzing about what izzo had and maybe not just for that 97 98 year but the next year the 98 99 year and for the next three years being in the final four guys I've got another story for you, and it has to do with Tropicana Field, TJ. Uh, Getting ready to play the semifinal against Duke, and Duke was the number one ranked team in the country. Mm -hmm. Michigan State was the number two team, and then the other two teams were Connecticut and Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And uh, Scooney Penn, Michael Red, I think. Yes, correct. That's right, Scooney Penn and Michael Red, exactly. So people were wondering how Michigan State was going to hold up, and they had Elton Brand, and uh, Michigan State had Antonio Smith in the middle. And those guys really, it was a sumo match, uh, those two guys under the basket. But Duke won the game 68-62. And I'll never forget, after the game, standing with uh, John Feinstein and Mike DeCourcy, and Feinstein says, uh, whoever won this game is going to lose Monday night. And I mm. said, well, you're not. These are the top two teams in the country. This was the de facto championship game. And he said, whoever won this game will not win Monday. And that is exactly what happened. And uh, Duke had left it all out on the court. Connecticut rolled in, got his first national championship. And uh, one of the many times John Feinstein's known more basketball than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Tate's take the podcast here with Deshaun Tate, uh, where, of course, where basketball is. You should know that already. Um, T.J. Reeves with me and um, and got Jack Ebling here with me as well. Jack Ebling, who is uh, a historian, obviously, of the state of Michigan, Michigan State, um, got books that are out, and I'm sure he'll love to promote that a little bit later as well. Find him, drivewithjack.com. 
Press pass on Sunday nights, Fox 47 out of Lansing, Michigan from 11 p.m. till 12 a.m. on Sundays. And, of course, T.J. Reeves, college basketball, coast to coast. Uh, you can find him on social at Buck Sideline Guide. That college basketball, coast to coast. Find that anywhere that you find podcasts. Go ahead, TJ. So uh, this is great therapy right now. I mean, Jack is just serving <laughs> it up in buckets uh, the, for the fact that we don't have the Final Four. So we were together. And Deshaun, did you make your way, I don't know this, to Indianapolis and the Holy Grail of Michigan State's second national championship and I, I obviously had come and, and was covering it, uh, not nationally at that point, but for local Tampa radio and for the state of Florida because the Florida Gators were not only in the Final Four, but they were playing Michigan State in the championship game. So, Deshaun, I don't know if you were in the building, Jack. I'm certain you were in the building. But I, I was there with a lot of the state of Michigan in the building as, as they won it again. I, I remember that. I can't believe that was 20 years ago, but... I love being there, and I'm ready to hear both of you guys tell the stories about Michigan State getting another championship. So go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't there uh, in 2000, but you couldn't have told me that at that time. I mean, I'm <laughs> screaming at the television and just crazy happy. And I mean, that's just one of those times. Some of those I'll never remember exact or never forget. You know where I was at, where I was living, what I was doing. You know, I'm watching it with my brother who kind of introduced me uh, in a roundabout way to the to the game of basketball and obviously with my mom as well. And just, you know, I I, I was one of those that was pretty heartbroken about uh, Teddy DuPays, which I consider to still be in, uh, an intentional uh, trip on the team cleaves on the yeah. uh, on the play and transition going up for a layup. But there was not a question in my mind just watching it at that time and obviously being from Lansing and was looking forward to the following year. I'm a freshman at Waverly High School. Marcus Taylor is one of the top players in the country, just broken right. Magic Johnson's scoring record in the city of Lansing. Uh, and, and, and I mean, I was just overly excited, overly stoked, but there was not a doubt in my mind that, that Mateen would be coming back out to play. I just felt some way, somehow he'd, he'd make a way – like I said, you guys were there in the arena to actually see everything that, you know, had went on. But in credit, you know, beating a, a Florida team that was obviously really good too. Brett Nelson on that team, uh, uh, Donnell Harvey on that team as well. And, and Udonis Haslam has some really good Mike players. Miller and, um, Mike Miller was Mike Miller, there you go. Exactly. So, um, but no, it, it, it just, it takes me back, um, you know, to that, to that moment, just, I mean, just getting those newspaper articles with Jack Ebling on there and just having the opportunity to read those articles. As a kid, I would go to the newspaper stand every single day to the point where the, the sometimes I'd have to make a, a trip to the to the Admiral gas station on Waverly and Holmes right there on the corner. And, and, and the cashier would literally have my sports section there. I was. I was so bent up about that sports section, but just the person that I am, I didn't want to take the whole newspaper and toss it all in the garbage can. I just asked if I can take the, my, give my 50 cents and get my sports section, leave the classifieds and everything else for whoever may have wanted that. If they wanted the sports section, particularly, they would have been disappointed after me, but, um, but, but, but yeah. And just seeing them win that national championship and, and, uh, I'll be honest with you, as many times, not only Michigan State has gotten there, but just the way that that felt, I, I didn't question if they uh, would win another national championship at all. Um, but certainly to get to the Final Four, and it seems very special every single time that they did get a chance to do that, even the most recent one uh, in just last year. But I definitely want to get Jack's take a little bit on, you know, some of those years, the 99, the 2000, the 2001. And I grouped those all together because I and I came on Jack's show earlier uh, to speak with him about some Michigan State basketball. And I tell you what, I thought that that 2001 Michigan State team was just, maybe not in a lot of people's opinion, just as good or if not better. But I mean, they're blowing teams out left and right. They go back to the final four, obviously disappointing. They didn't end it the way that they would uh, have liked to. But. You know, there were even some cases where, you know, a lot of people feel like Michigan State in 2000 was just this unstoppable team. And I think they had lost somewhere right around, you know, seven, seven games themselves. Seven I think that games, started yeah. out at first with Chris Mim in Texas, if I'm not mistaken. So I want to get Jack's uh, 
uh, intake a little bit on on some of those games from during that time. The first thing, TJ, is I'm going to go back to that Admiral gas station, and I'm going to put up some sort of a sign that a great journalist was born here. Uh, like a commemorative, that, uh, a commemorative a plaque that's, uh, that's there. I'll put up a sign about Tate's take or something. So, uh, yeah, after the year when Michigan State uh, won 33 games and uh, lost to Duke, and actually had won 18 straight Big Ten games, uh, lost the opener to Wisconsin, then won 15 straight, and then won three more in a conference tournament uh, in 1999. It came back, and everyone was thinking, okay, this team uh, has a chance to, to really do something. Uh, Martin Cleves, senior year, Morris Peterson's senior year. But Peterson had not been a starter. He was the only player, and still is, in Big Ten history to be all-conference without starting a game. Mm. And his senior year, Martin Cleves, just before they're ready to go, suffers a stress fracture in his foot. So he can't play, and I remember we're in the Dean Dome. They're getting ready to play North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And Cleves is just bawling like a baby because this has been his dream, and he looks up and he sees all those numbers and the rafters. They've got them all over the place at North Carolina. And he knows that he's going to miss this opportunity. So before tip-off, I walked down press row, and Vital was doing the game. And I just handed him a piece of paper that said, Morris Peterson's coming out party. And Vital, you know, he knew, knew about four players on each team, and he really wasn't burst on Morris Peterson. And so Peterson scores more than 30 that night, and Michigan State upsets uh, North Carolina and number two in the nation. And uh, then they're off and running. But they had some struggles, too. They lost to Wright State. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're all down in Florida for a bowl game, uh, Michigan State and University of Florida. And we look and we see this ticker, and it said uh, the score, Wright State beating Michigan State. And said, you know, who's the dyslexic Chiron operator here? <laughs> <laughs> get the teams, you know, in the right order. He's obviously got this thing screwed up. So Michigan State finally is going to play. Uh, uh, they're having a reunion, and Magic is back uh, for the '79 team. And he gets a hold of my team, and he says, "Hey, you got to loosen up and have some fun, and just make it your team." and everything's going to fall into place. Uh, You've got the pieces to make it happen. So they get through, and they win the Big Ten, and uh, they're playing Indiana, and there's a greeting line at the end of the game. Bob Knight wasn't much on greeting lines. But uh, he grabbed Izzo, and he wouldn't let him go. And he was there for about 30 seconds. Everyone says, what are they talking about? And Bob Knight is telling him, he said, you can win this national championship. I'm going to be pissed if you don't do it. <laughs> and he thought what he needs to do. And uh, Knight saw a lot of the Indiana team, teams, the three that won the title in that Michigan State team. And uh, that's exactly the way the Spartans played. They had some tough times. They had a, a big halftime uh, deficit against Syracuse. And uh, Mateen Cleves tore up the locker room at halftime at the Palace of Auburn Hills. And then two days later, they played uh, Iowa State, uh, Larry Eustachie's team uh, with Marcus Pfizer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was really the de facto national championship game. Michigan State came back and won that in overtime and then went on to the uh, Final Four beat Wisconsin a fourth time yep. in one year. The game, they say, set basketball back yes. about 20 years and sparked all the uh, freedom of movement rules. Michigan State won 53-41. to 41. And it was after that game, again, in the press room, and I'm kind of chuckling and I'm hearing everyone say, you know, Florida's going to run these guys off the court. Uh, this fast break Florida offense from Billy Donovan, their Michigan state's not going to know what hit him. And, uh, Izzo had a big smile on his face because he knew he had a special press break where Cleus didn't touch the ball until he was headed uh-huh. to the basket. Uh-huh. And, uh, he just tore him up, torched that press 
And the only time the game ever got close, Spartans looked like they, they could have won by 20 or 25. And uh, then Cleves went down on the leg sweep by Teddy Dupay. And a guy named Mike Chappelle came in. Mm -hmm. He was a transfer from Duke. Mm-hmm. and hit a three right away and then got a put back for a basket. And then when Cleves hobbled back to the court, uh, Michigan State iced the win and had 89 points instead of 53 two nights earlier and really should have had 100. They didn't score for about the last three minutes. Well, And that, and, and that, and that right there is during that time, and, I, and, and there's occasionally, time, occasionally times when, you know, I, I'd, I'd definitely like to see and look forward to uh, Michigan State getting back to that team that was number, it seems like number one rebounding team in the country every single yeah. year. You know they're going to beat you up on the backboards. Tom is always well known for his war drills and the physicality. I think they like to call it a football on the basketball court a lot of times. Right. Always really good in free throw percentages each and every single year. Um, and I want to go ahead and go to TJ because I know you said that you had something that you wanted to mention. Yes. Because after that, I want to get ready to get into some Michigan State moving forward and pack, uh, pick uh, Jack's brain, you and Jack's brain a little bit. So I'm just curious because again, I was in the I was in the building. First of all, I want to thank Michigan State for beating Wisconsin in the Big Ten tournament and then again in the NCAA tournament because I am a Memphis State guy. And up until oh. that time, Memphis State had the dubious distinction in 1992, my senior year, of losing to Bob Huggins, Nick Van Exel, and Cincinnati four times in the same season, including the conference tournament title game and in the Elite Eight. So I want to thank Michigan State for taking care of Wisconsin four times so that Memphis State doesn't stand alone. The Badgers stand <laughs> with the uh, Tigers. And there have been a couple more now that have, that have had that happen to them since then. Same thing. Losing the conference tournament, losing the NCAA tournament. Um, but the other thing is, uh, you can't convey enough how Michigan State made the plays. Morris Peterson, huge with some big shots. Uh, you mentioned yeah. Cleves coming back in. I just wonder, Jack, you're like the authority. I've been chomping at the bit for this answer. If that 2000 Michigan State team plays the 79 team from from back 20 years earlier, uh, or actually, uh, what, at that time, uh, yeah, 21 years earlier, if they, if they play that Michigan State team with Irvin, Magic Johnson, with Greg Kelser and those guys, what do you think happens? Give me, give me some, some insight. Deshaun would love it and the audience would love it. Well, if you ask Irvin, he'll give you one game script, and if you ask uh, Martin, he'll give you a different play-by-play. Uh, I've actually asked Izzo this, and I think he needs a true serum before he'll give you a true answer to it. But uh, I think it would have been a fascinating game. Again, what rules are you using? Right. Uh, if you are using a no three-point line, that changes it a lot. Uh, are you using the rules where you had no shot clock? That changes it a lot, but uh, I would love to see the game. And I, I think that the, the amazing part about Irvin is that uh, that was a 12-win team when he showed up. And in two years, they won 51 games. And as soon as he left, they won 12 games again, and that was with two forfeits. So they were really a 10-win team. So uh, his impact was immense, but... What happened with the 2000 team in 2001 is that's continued. Uh, that era as basically for uh, beginning with that uh, 98 team, 23 straight, it would have been this year, NCAA tournaments. Uh, it'd be the third longest streak in history. Uh, so what that team did continues to this day and really built something and you have to give them some credit for that but there are a lot of uh, names and numbers up in the rafters at Breslin Center and uh, you look up and you see those flags and uh, I really wish we could have a simulation to see what those two teams would have done. <laughs> All I know, and Deshaun, you can comment, I don't know who guards Irvin. I, I mean, at 6'9", yeah. the way he could handle the ball, <laughs> I don't know that anybody on that 2000 team was big enough and agile enough to stay with it. Mateen Cleves would have been eaten alive. No matter what he says or what he thinks, he couldn't have guarded him at, at his size yeah. against Magic's size. That's my two cents. Deshaun, I don't know about you. Yeah, no, I got to agree with that. I, I mean, when you start thinking about some of the guys in basketball in general that we've never seen certain things until they popped up. Perfect right. example for some of the younger generation right now, 
we've never seen a guy, at least I haven't per se, the size of a Zion Williamson and dominating the way that right. he is right now. The athletic ability of a LeBron James being who obviously is the second coming, being that size at six nine with the passing ability and the willingness to pass. Um, but the first to do it, obviously, is is Irvin. A lot of people, magic this, magic that. In Lansing, he's Irvin, and I think that's the, <laughs> that's that's the best part about us. That, that's what I'll always and forever uh, uh, remember. Yeah. Um, and not only that that 2000 team uh, matching up against the 79, but a lot of people would have been intrigued to see what would have happened had Kenyon Martin not gotten injured in 2000. Right. Uh, and if Michigan State would have matched up with them. Only probably about two more questions for you guys. You're listening to Tate's Well, Tate that would have changed everything, uh, Deshaun, because Michigan State then would not have been the number one seed mm. and would not have had the home court advantage. Mm-hmm. Probably would have been sent In somewhere Cleveland, else. Mm-hmm. Detroit yeah, so, and Cleveland, uh, yep. Would have been very interesting. I got one other story for you guys about that uh, 2000 tournament. Uh, Michigan State playing first and second rounds in Cleveland, and one of the most horrific experiences uh, any media member could ever have. We were covering a first-round game, and it ended. It was in the afternoon, and we said, okay, we just leave our stuff here. We'll go down and do the post game, and come back up, do our stories here, and watch a little more basketball. And Security officer said, yeah, yeah, we got it. We got the area secured. So we go down. We come back about 45 minutes later. All of our computers are gone. And they had an organized scam where they had these two attractive females uh, engage in conversation with these old fat security guards. (laughs) And they had distracted them. Meanwhile, these guys came down press row and scoop, 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 slid all these new laptops uh, into this bag or satchel. And uh, I had a brand new IBM computer which i'd just gotten from the state journal gone and i don't know what was worse uh dictating all the stories for two weeks back to the office or trying to call and explain that uh, my computer had been stolen that i didn't actually sell it on the black market for beer money (laughs) and uh, that's what they had done and it got to be such an issue that the ncaa got involved, and reimbursed us all. Wow. I was going to say there were probably two security guards who didn't work the night session or the weekend games <laughs> after that <laughs> happened, I would think. I think so. With, yeah. uh, with that, what a story, the things that we remember and the stuff that we do. And you just you can't say enough, Deshaun, about the culture that Izzo brought and all the Final Fours, you and I and, and mm-hmm. Jack, we were around last year in Minnesota, uh, mm-hmm. when they were when they were uh, beaten by Texas Tech, but they still had gotten there right. to the Final Four by beating Duke and Zion in the Elite Eight game. And you go back year after year after year, March seems to belong to Izzo. Um, and so that, that's just the way it has been, starting with those teams in the late 90s and the early 2000s. There's my two cents. Yeah, Michigan State, uh, with the one championship and has only been to one other final, lost uh, – to North Carolina in 2009 after uh, beating Connecticut. But mm-hmm. uh, the fact that Izzo has been to eight Final Fours, and most of the time he's not been favored to do it uh, in all of the Final Four games. They've won three, and they've only been favored three times. But eight Final Four appearances in that span, and uh, that's the most in the country. Mike Krzyzewski, you'd be surprised, no, only has five. Yeah. Hmm. He had a ton back in the 80s and the 90s, yeah. but yes, yeah. uh, it, it just shows you the culture. So, Deshaun, I love this reminiscing. Where else you want to go? What else you want to do? Uh, just a couple couple quick things I want to run past. And one of them is obviously uh, right now is for you, TJ, and I'm just kind of curious of this. In, in, in your opinion, what do you think that it says uh, about a guy like Tom is on his legacy if he doesn't win? another national championship because i know that that's one that's right there he always seems to be right there on the on on the cusp of it um and a lot of people in east lansing keeping their fingers crossed on that one um obviously he's already a a, a hall of famer uh but there's some people that you know in in east lansing that are growing a little uh, maybe a little (laughs) uh, frustrated if you will uh um with not only just you know failing to win another national championship uh, and maybe sometimes that's 
uh, being poked at a little bit more so based on the fact that uh, that he gets so close so often. Uh, but even more so, they're, they're, we're starting to see somewhat of a little bit of a trend occasionally uh, where um, th- some, uh, some of these losses, and this one, per se, I, can, I can definitely go back and, and um, relate it to the years of uh, Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges, the 17-18 season, um, you know, where, 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 where there was issues with, with Izzo and, um, you know, the, the substituting and things of that nature and having, you know, obviously a lottery picking Jaron Jackson on, on, on the bench at that time. And, you know, I obviously want Jack to be in the way in on that as well. But in the event that he doesn't win a national, another national championship, where do you think that he lies in regards to uh, some of the uh, best coaches to ever coach? Well, you, you mentioned the name Coach K, and in the modern era, that's the standard. Uh, you know, right. he's got multiple national titles. Roy Williams has multiple national titles. Currently active, the only other active coach with multiple national titles is Jay Wright. A lot of uh, uh-huh. Villanova. A lot of people don't realize that with uh-huh. Rick now, Rick Patino is now back active, although he hasn't coached a game yet at Iona, uh-huh. and he has a title. Uh, at Kentucky, and I, I guess we still call it a title for Louisville, even though the NCAA took it away because of all the shenanigans from 2013. But with Jim Calhoun retired, with Billy Donovan in the NBA, who got two of them in the uh, in the in the 2000s, so you start going down the list. Like Jim Beheim has won, Bill Self has won for all the accolades and NBA players at Kentucky. John Calipari has won. It, my point is, it ain't easy. To get, mm-hmm. to get more than one, as demonstrated by by the fact that those are those are Hall of Fame credentialed coaches that I just mentioned, and they all have one. So I judge it by every year, and repeatedly they are in contention for the Big Ten title and or doing damage, winning two, three, four games most years in the NCAA tournament. Izzo's a Hall of Fame coach, whether they get another one or not. There's my two cents. The bigger authority is Jack Ebling on that. <laughs> Well, I think when you've won 10 Big Ten regular season titles and the most uh, Big Ten tournaments, uh, six, and you have the most Final Four bids, which to me is really, uh, once you get there, then everything after that is kind of a crapshoot because you can be the second best team in the country. A lot of years, you don't get the national championship, but if you get your team to the Final Four, I think that is really uh, the benchmark. I do want to say that Rick Pitino uh, had the record of the longest span between NCAA championships from his 1996 Kentucky team to 2013 at Louisville. That's 17 seasons. And now that the uh, 13 title has been vacated, I guess you can't even say he did win two titles, (laughs) but uh, if Izzo wins next year, or had won this year, this would have been 20. Next year would be 21 years uh, between NCAA tournament championships, and that's the longest in college basketball history. Wow. Now, my my, my last one for each of you guys um, here, and I know it's getting a little bit extended, but, you know, I can probably do this pretty much all day. I said that to Jack earlier on on his show. Um, You know, I'm curious to know this as we – not to say that Tom Izzo is obviously making his way out of the door or anything like that, but when that time does come to pass as we stand right now, who do you think, starting with Jack, is probably the best uh, candidate to replace? And this is going to be a, a, a double, um, a, a two in, two-ended question here. Uh, the best coach to replace in terms of position and, and, and situation uh, to replace Tom Izzo, uh, the most ideal candidate, and how important is it for Michigan State going forward to land the number one player ranked in, in the country right now? Some people say that he's the best high school player they've ever seen out of Ypsilanti at Lincoln High School, Imani Bates, if in the event that the that the high school to NBA rule isn't lifted at that time. Well, I think what you're going to find with Imani Bates is he is likely to reclassify and uh, come out after next season, come into college basketball. If that happens, uh, he might wind up at Michigan State for a year. Otherwise, I don't think you'll see him in in college ball. But as far as a successor to Izzo, 
when Tom took the job from Judd, it seemed to be so logical and natural. In this case, there is not one logical person. There are a lot of people who would like that job. There are a lot of people who think they should have a shot at that job. And there are a lot of people who might be successful there. But I maintain that Michigan State is going to have quite a fall off when Izzo leaves. And I can't think of a coach who can maintain because Michigan State is not a truly elite program. As much as any program that I have seen, it is coach-driven. And it would not surprise me at all, gentlemen, if 10 years from now, if they still have the Champions Classic, you'll be watching Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, and somebody else. And Mm. it won't be Michigan. Mm, interesting. I just I thought when you were saying that I don't know who uh, it ends up being. I I think I know who has the biggest say so in who it's going to be, and I wouldn't I wouldn't misjudge yeah. his judgment. That's Tom Izzo on picking his successor, not unlike what Judd Heathcote did. But it will be fascinating when that time comes. I would be surprised if Izzo doesn't coach four or five more years at least. Yeah. I, I yeah. think I think that's a 2025, 20, 2027 20, question, as crazy as those years sound, before you got to worry about that. All things being equal with his health, et cetera. Um, yeah. And he's been through a lot, as you guys know, with the, with the whole sexual assault allegations and the ringer and all of that and came out on the other side of it and still wants to do this, apparently, from all indications, even at his age. So let, yeah. let's see. Let's see how long it lasts. But it, it's certainly been... Quite a ride, and I cannot believe that was 41 years ago, Bird and Magic, mm-hmm. and 20 years ago <laughs> in the old RCA Dome with Cleves and Peterson, Michigan State over Florida. One Speaking, more thing, DJ. Go I got to tell you this because uh, Tom likes a lot of people and respects a lot of people, but there are very few that he really trusts. And uh, there's one guy, he's not going to get the Michigan State job but Tom respects him enough that uh, he could. And uh, his name's Seth Greenberg. (laughs) And uh, Tom Izzo loves Seth. Sure. And uh, I don't know what kind of relationship you had with him there. I'm guessing if you were there that long, he seemed like – you know, the kind of guy that would be fun to cover. But, let me put it. Let uh, me put it to you this way: I did his radio show, Seth. I did his yeah. TV show, and all the jokes and the one-liners and the zings yeah. that you hear on ESPN. Heard them all, babe. Yeah. Been there, done that. Did all of it in the late '90s and the early 2000s. And you're right, going way back when uh, that that was uh, that was a relationship they had because they were assistant coaches on the road uh, together, grinding. And, and Seth was even, I believe, on Heathcote's staff. I think one year or maybe two, on a recommendation from Tom Izzo that this is somebody we need to have around. So you're right. That's an interesting name. I'll tell you another name just to keep an eye on is Tom Crean, who who yeah. was with him on that original 2000 staff that, as an assistant that won the national title, Crean's success sure. at Marquette, Crean's success at Indiana. How long does he still want to coach in Georgia and the SEC? Would he come back? That's another name. Just food for thought. Who knows who it will be? And again, I don't think we have to worry about it for a few years. Well, there are a lot of names, and, and Tom Crean certainly, uh, you know, he had success at Indiana at Final Four team with Dwayne Wade and Marquette and uh, Dwayne Stevens, who was now the associate head coach at Michigan State, was on Tom Crean's staff at Marquette. Uh, Doug Wojcik is on the staff now, and he's been a head coach. Brian Gregory is very close to the program, he has been a head coach. Uh, Dane Fife is on the staff now. He has been a head coach. So there are a lot of guys who would say, choose me, but uh, I don't know that there's anyone there. You look at, you say, okay, they're not going to take a step back before they try to take a step forward. Well, you learn something new each and every single day. I sure did. uh, This will be something that people can enjoy while they're quarantining, uh, (laughs) especially my people up in the the neck of the woods of uh, of Lansing, Michigan. Gentlemen, TJ Reeves, uh, as well as Jack Ebling, appreciate both of you guys for... Uh, coming on thank you hey, so 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 much this, this was a treat to hang and listen to the gold mine jack ebling <laughs> tell these stories and go back to, to magic being injured in the field house and all of that it's like seinfeld gold jerry gold this was gold i loved it thank you tj uh, you get a rain check on that dinner from december of 97 and 
John, you got a seat on press pass as soon as you get back up here. Thank you so much. TJ Reeves, you catch him on the TuneIn app, College Basketball Coast to Coast. Uh, the host for the uh, College Basketball Coast to Coast. Catch him on social media at Buck Sideline Guy. And, of course, Jack Ebeling um, through Spotlight Media Group, drivewithjack.com, uh, uh, as well as Press Pass, Fox 47 in Lansing, Michigan, from 11 p. until 12 midnight on Sunday evenings. Appreciate everybody for listening. Again, you can find me on social media at Tate's Take Hoops, T-A-T-E-S-T-A-K-E-H-O-O-P-S, where basketball lives. And yes, I have to spell it out every single time. Appreciate you guys for listening. On the next one, be looking forward to another podcast coming out where I think we're going to talk about the best coaches amongst those that are active that have not yet won a national championship. Be looking out for that one in the future. Until next time, for Jack, for TJ, for me, Deshaun Tate, have a good evening.